we're going to look at Paul's greeting this morning, and we're going to ask the letter, why was this letter written? Why? What was the reason Paul wrote to this church in, in Colossians? Why did he write this? We're also going to see and ask the question, is it applicable to us, and how is it applicable to us? It is in the Bible. You can't just skip over the book of Colossians. You need to read it and you need to answer these questions. We're going to look today at the city, the church, and the crisis. Because there was a crisis in that church. And there's a crisis in the world today. And there's a crisis in the church today. And these things we need to understand. So here is a few things that I reckon is important for us that we have this letter today. First of all, I reckon it's important that we have the book of Colossians because of ecumenism. Who knows what that means? Ecumenism is happening in the world right now. And this is one of the biggest dangers that faces the church of God today. This is a promoting of a unity amongst the world churches. And you've seen it playing out on your news every time when you turn on the television. They say the Roman Catholics, the Christians, the Jews, and the Muslims are all going to come together. And it's been preached from pulpits. And it's been promoted wherever you go. It's all need to be a one world church. Because you know what? God loves everybody, doesn't He? He's a loving God. But friends, that is one of the reasons this letter was written. Because for all of these things to happen, you have to change the doctrine of the Bible to fit into all of these different religions. For a starter, Roman Catholics believe that Mary is more important than Jesus. Whilst we as Christianity only see Mary as this virgin birth of Jesus Christ. But Jesus Christ is part of the Trinity, the God, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now I can preach a whole sermon on that, but I'm not. This is the reason why you have so many false teachings in churches today is because they want to promote this unity amongst all of the churches. Secondly, I think it is important this letter happens to us is because we are living in an age of no moral authority. You can say amen to that. No moral authority. Look around you. This should not catch you by surprise. People do whatever they want to do, and if it feels good, do it. And you know what they do now? They come now and they take scripture verses and they change against the doctrine to fit in with their lifestyle. The Bible was never written like that. The Bible was there as a plumb line to correct your lifestyle to God's structure and to Him. This is why this letter is written and this is what you're going to find is going to be corrected. There's nothing sacred anymore. Nothing. And let me tell you this morning from this pulpit, it is going to get worse. I'm not here to down your spirits or anything or to put a damper on it, but I'm telling you that the world is going to go worser than it is. If you've lost ground, it's hard to take it back. And I can go off and preach a whole sermon on that, and it'll be according to the Word. There is today no definition of who Christ is. Have you noticed? Christ is whoever you want Him to be. 
And again, if he fits in within your lifestyle, if he fits in with your understanding of the Bible, you see, that's the big word today. It is, no, you understand it this way, we understand it a different way. No, there's only one way of understanding. Again, it's the Word of God. It's God's way and no other way. That's why this letter is important for us to learn from and it's in our Bible. And then I reckon fourthly, friends, is that we are living in a practical age. Who knows that? You see, the problem of your young people today and the problem of many Christians in the church today is people are looking for something that works and it needs to work fast. Take McDonald's, for instance. <laughs> oh, I don't eat from McDonald's. Well, take uh, Burger King, for instance. Oh, that's New Zealand. Take uh, Hungry Jacks, for instance. Yes, all of these things that's built around, and we all enjoy that. Don't, you know, I'm, I'm not going to stand here and say, oh, McDonald's is off the devil, you shouldn't go. No, no, no. No, what I'm saying is our lifestyles has changed so much. Instant coffee, my brother. You know, everything's got to be instant. And, and this is how it happens. It's got to be instant and it's got to work and I want gratification for it. Now the problem with that is our young people grow up with that as the new norm. And they come to the Word of God and you know what God's Word is all about? Patience. Patience takes time, isn't it? Patience is not like that. You, you just go and see. If you go into, and test yourself, if you drive into McDonald's and there's a queue in front of you, what's going through your mind? Oh man, I've got to sit through this whole queue. And then you've got this one person in front who's putting in a long order. And you're sitting there impatient tapping on your steering wheel. Come on, come on, come on, come on. You know, we are, we're living in a fast-paced world. And that is the reason why this letter makes a lot of uh, 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 interesting for us as well. We're living in a practical age. People come to the Word of God. They say, I've got problems in my life. Please, pastor, preacher, pray for me, help me. You give them advice. You give them the Word of God. You pray for them. And the next morning, they call you and they go, nothing happened. That's the problem, and that's why this letter was written. Not only that, it is also because of broken relationships. Who knows that? We are living in a time where there's, there's just so many broken relationships. If you look behind you in the past, you see all of these skeletons of broken relationships lying there. Relationships don't last anymore. It's been washed down, watered down. You find so many, if you go today and, and, and you go to the courts and you see how many people get separated these days, it's because we are living in this world, we've made this world. You see, mankind's like that. We're going to do it on our own, God. We'll show you. And you know what it is? Can I say this? It is a mess. Not only that, I reckon this letter is good for us because of the explosion of knowledge. Who knows that? Who knows about the explosion of knowledge that's happening around? You know, there's an iPhone lying just there. I've got the whole world in my hands. The whole, if I don't know anything, I don't have to ask anything anymore. I just go on Mr. Google and I type it into my phone and there I go, yes. And you know what? I'm living in an instant gratification world and I'm sitting there and say, come on Google, come on, come on, come on, give me the answer. 
It is an explosion of knowledge. Let me tell you, just CES, okay? It is, it is a show that happens in Las Vegas. It is for all the retailers around the world where they come and they show new technology. New technology. Just this last thing, the CES show that happened a couple of months ago, they now has got technology. Listen to this. Hold on to your seat right now. They've got, and they've got it, they showed it there on the show, where they can now plant a chip in the back of your head, and it will grab all of who you are, your information, it, it, your thoughts and everything. They store it in the chip, and if you want to change your body into a hybrid body, they can put all it in there. Forget about this body it's gonna go now but they plant that over into another sleeve they call them sleeves and there you go living on and they say we've captured eternal life go and google it go and YouTube it we are living in this world of explosional knowledge they've got now computers which can talk to you who who's heard about artificial intelligence Artificial intelligence. I'll tell you, I've seen it with my own eyes in Sydney. These, there they showed us. We were sitting there and they go, these people will take over the people who answer the phone calls. Because you know what? We've got so many resources doing that. We want to cut down on resources. We're going to replace them with a machine. And you won't even know it is a machine talking to you. In. And you know what? She answers the phone and says, hi, my name is this. And, and she sounds just like a human being. And all the questions you ask us, he can answer you straight away back. Because where does he get the knowledge? Google. <laughs> and if, and if, and if you ask you a question which he can't answer next to her for now, just for now, there'll be a human and she will say to you politely, she, she will say, I, I can't, look, I'll put you over to my colleague and she will uh, be able to answer that question. But while the colleague answers that question, what does the machine do? It learns the answers. Is that frightening? Is it? Come on, yes or no? But you enjoy it. Everybody say yes, it's frightening, but everybody's still got phones and we all got it. What are you saying, preacher? Are you saying we should go and live on an island and burn all technology? No. No, I'm not saying that because Jesus said we are living in this world. But listen carefully. We are not of it. Therein lies another message. We, we need to understand how not to be off the world, but in the world. And then, let me just say why another reason I reckon this is, is because we are living in eschatological times, eschatology. You know what that means? That, that means that the world is expecting there's a disaster and the world's going to end. Who knows we are living in the last times? You better believe it. Jesus Christ is coming back again. But be careful. I mean, who saw the blue blood moon the other night? That was beautiful. I, I ran out every, every, every five minutes. I went out. I called Sharia. I had my binoculars there. And I looked. Have you seen that, some of you? I've seen it. It was beautiful. You know what I see it as? I see it as God's nature and how God created it. But if you want to read meanings into that, listen, friend, I don't. There's only one place where I find meaning, and it's the Word of God. How many times over the last five years has people pro proclaimed and predicted the earth is going to end on 12 October 2012? Guess what? The, October 2012 came, and we're here still. I've, I've, you jump on YouTube, there's a lot of crazies there. There's somebody who said it's going to happen. With the super blue moon, it's going to happen. We, and here we are. What's happening? Can, can you all do me a favor? Can everybody just lift up your hand? Everybody, please. Everybody. Put it in, right in front of your face. I'm not going to ask you to slap yourself. Wait a minute. 
Just put it right there. Now do this. Inhale. Everybody. And blow. What do you feel? You know, you are still alive. That's all I wanted to say. <laughs> oh, but you are making jokes of God now. No, I'm not. I'm making jokes of the jokers who make jokes of God. There's people in here who know me for years now, years and years. And every time since then, I've said, let's go back to the Word. Let's go back to the Word. And nowhere in the Word it says, they will come a blue, super blue moon and everybody will be wiped off. If you find that verse, I'll give you $10 million, which I haven't got because I feel I'm safe. <laughs> I can give you that. You see, there's these questions that happens in the world right now. Questions like, do the heavenly bodies have any influence over our lives? It's a good question, isn't it? Yes. But they, they bring it more closer to us, brother. They, they ask this question, is there a relationship between diet and spiritual living? I'll tell you what, there's people who say, and, and they do it. There's a church in America, Bethel Baptist Church. Who's heard about it? You know what they do now? Listen, hold on to your seat again. In church, they are reading tarot cards to promote prophecy. Who knows what is a tarot card? For those who don't know, that is the occultic. And here they come into church. And I'm, I'm not saying it's, not, it's a church. They bring in tarot cards, they hand them out, and now they're going to they're train to people to prophesy. Why? Because we tap into the spiritual, supernatural world. Listen to me very carefully. There is a supernatural world out there, but you do not want to dabble in it. That belongs to God. I, I, I can't be more clear about it. You know what people do? Christians, they go to these fairs and there's that lady sitting there. Oh, it's, it's a little bit back. They are now, I think they are now a little bit forward. But back in the day, you get this little tent, you get this lady, she's got something over her head. There's a crystal ball and she's oh, looking at it and people go and sit down and they want their future read to them. What is tomorrow going to be about? Let me tell you this, friend. If you're in Christ, do not worry about tomorrow because it's in Him. It's coming into churches now where there's fortune telling in churches. And, and this is it. You know, do heavenly bodies have any influence over our lives? And look, look, I can go on about it, but I've got much to say. And, and this thing about is there a relationship between diet and spiritual living? And, I, and it's true. I've met these people. They came to try to influence me. They say, oh man, you see all these people who are obese? Which I am. But these people who are obese... You see, they can't live more in a higher spiritual realm, listen to that word, realm than me, you know, because why? I eat the right foods. If you eat the right foods, God will speak more clearer to you than, you know, that obese guy like me, you know. So that brings the question, does diets have any influence upon us? Look, I know that the God gave us these bodies and we need to look after it. That's true. You can't just go and put any substance in there like drugs and, you know, if you're going to do that, you will live with the consequences. Let me put it to you this way. Sin walks a mile on your body. 
I can prove it to you. You can take two people next to each other the same age, one conduct themselves into sin and the other one not, didn't take the substances this person do, and you can physically see the difference. So nature tells us that sin walks a mile on your body. There's consequences. And, and you know, people ask, does, you know, listen to this one, does God speak to us immediately in our mind or only through His Word, the Bible? Is it an audible voice? Or how does that happen? This is why this letter is written. In the next few months going forward, we're going to answer all these things. And it's going to be laid out in front of us. But these are practical things that you and I experience today. And the big one is, do Eastern religions have something to offer the, event, the church? Do they? This is critical in Colossians. You'll see it in the next few minutes. Eastern religion, let me say it pronto out, has got no place in the church. So why then in the world is there things like Christian yoga? Look, if I'm going to shock you this morning, and if you say that you're friends and there's friends, by all means, the Word of God is a sword to cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul, and as you know me, I'm not afraid to say if it stands in the Word. If I talk nonsense, please point me out and tell me you're talking nonsense. But if it's in the Word of God, friend, if, what has it got to do with us? What is tarot cards in the church got to do with us? What has all of these nonsense got to do with us? Now listen to this. Uh, uh, meditation. Uh, uh, what is it? Con contemplative prayer. That's the word. Contemplative prayer. If you don't know what it means, let me explain to you quickly. There's books, millions of books, well, hundreds of books of them in the bookstores, the Christian bookstores. They say you go and sit and you empty yourself out. Well. <laughs> okay. Let me just rephrase that because he can't come to the wrong. <laughs> Empty your mind self out, okay? <laughs> and then once you've emptied yourself out, you've got these mantras then you start repeating over and over and over again. And look, I'll just stop short of naming names here, because if you, are, if you are really mad at me now, if I start throwing names in there, you might be running for the door. But this is, what is he doing in the church? There ain't any place for it. Look, look, let me tell you, God's grace is so big, is so wide, is so high, that there's no place for all of these other nonsense. I just told you when I started preaching that in your lifetime you will not find the depth of worth of anything about God. So why do you want to dabble into those things? And I'll tell you why. It's because people want instant gratification. They want it and they want it now. If I'm going to sit on that little mat and I do my little emptying out of the mind, if I do all of those right things out, I'm going to stand up there and you know what I'm going to say to myself? I'm going to say to myself, man, you feel good. Isn't it right? Until you walk around the corner and you step on the poor dog's tail and you bite your toe, that goodness is gone. Because he's going to bite and lash out at you. So this is why I believe the Word of God is really important for us in this the letter of Colossians. I want to start with this verse and just say it out there. If you can see it down there at the bottom, 
In Colossians chapter 1 verse 11, he says, May you be strengthened with all power, with all power, according to the glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. I love that verse. I absolutely love it. May you be strengthened with all power. Whose power is that? That's God's power. May you be strengthened. Listen, friends, if you look at all of the nonsense which I put on that board there, which I just said to you, if you look at all of the darkness in the world, you and I are going to need something. You know what you need? You're going to need power to be able to walk through that. The word there for power is dunamis. That is the only author and finisher of that power into your life is God Himself. You cannot generate that power yourself. You can try as hard as you can, but you cannot do do it in your own strength. And here he says to them, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. That's the introduction. Do you want to get into the word? I can you all, we ready to go. Let's go, let's go. Verse 1. Let's open up in verse 1. Colossians chapter 1 verse 1. He says it there, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and the faithful brethren in Christ who are in Colossae. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes to all of the churches and to all of the individuals like Timothy and Titus. He greets everybody in this really nice, polite way. First of all, we see that it is Paul who wrote this letter to the church of Colossae. It's him. And he writes to them because Epaphras came to him. I want you to understand that Paul calls himself here an apostle. You see that? And just one thing, if you see it like this, Jesus Christ, sometimes you see Christ Jesus. Have you, some of you see that? When you read the Bible, you see, uh, he didn't say of Christ Jesus, he says of Jesus Christ. There's a reason for that. If you see Jesus in front of the word Christ, it talks about Jesus' ministry while he was on the earth. Okay? That means, it's, this is important, that means that you had to have contact with Jesus while he was on the earth. You say, but where did Paul have contact with Jesus? Well, you remember that he appeared to him on the road of Damascus? But if it's Christ Jesus, he talks about Christ after the resurrection when he's in heaven. That's... If you read your Bible like that, you will see a lot of insight into that. But let's, before we go on, just look at one thing here. Apostle. You see that word apostle there? Have you heard about all of these self-proclaimed apostles these days? Oh man, there's so many apostles in the world today, you can't count them anymore. Back in the day, there were only how many? Twelve. Twelve apostles. And I thought, at this point in time, I just want to clarify something to you about apostles. Everybody talks about them. Apostle means it's somebody who is sent. It comes from the word apostolos or, or apostolo. And it's from where we get our word apostle. In the Greek it is apostolo. It means to be sent off on a commission or do something special for a person. That's what it means to be an apostle. And Paul calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ. And it is important for you and for me to understand that he was called by Christ. Not the laying on of hands 
Not of person, not of man. It's not where people come together and we have a vote. Who are we going to vote in as an apostle? No, no. He was appointed. He was called by God. He says it right there, by the will of God. And this is the thing, dear friends, that he was called for two reasons. And this is important. First of all, an apostle is called to plant a church. This is what Christ did. He came onto the earth. He, he, he selected 12 disciples. And whilst they were disciples, they were learning from him for three and a half years. They went where he went. They listened to his sermons and everything. And then, and then, he sent them. And from that point in time, they changed from that disciples to apostles. He sent them for a purpose because Christ himself came to set up his church on this earth. Listen very carefully. Whose church is this? It's Christ's church. Oh, but wait a minute. We've got so many different names now. We've got, you know, we've got the Baptist. We've got your church now. It's called Kingsway. We've got the, uh, uh, all of these churches. It is still one church. It's Christ's church. He came to set up his church. And you know what he did? He sent these men out to plant churches, which Paul did. Paul went out and he planted so many churches. Peter did. James did. All of them. They went into regions and they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're going to see soon how this happened for Colossae. You say, but wait a minute. What if a church then, who's in, let's call it in South Africa or in America, wants to plant a church here in Australia? Isn't that person then an apostle when he comes? I say to you, no. He's not an apostle. Why? Because he's just going to plant that branch of church that he's part of. The church is already established. Jesus Christ himself was the first apostle. You what? Yes. Didn't God send him to the earth? Didn't he come to the earth with a, with a mission of doing what? He said that he will plant his church and he did. So, planting of church is one of the things that an apostle did, but not just. It's not as if we're going to say, now, Andre, we're going to make you apostle, Andre. Andre, and we want to now plant a church in Western Melbourne. Will you please go out for us? Now we'll all call Andre apostle. But yet it happens in the church today. You've got to be clear about these things. The second reason for an apostle is to confirm and teach Christian doctrine. This is the two reasons for an apostle. First of all, you plant a church, which they did. And then you confirm and teach the Christian doctrine. So Paul wrote so many letters. What do you find in those letters? The Christian doctrine. Then it amazes me, friends, that now we've got so many books in the bookstores about people's ideas and thoughts about the word. And when you read through them, there's no doctrine. All of Paul's letters, all of them, the first chapters is doctrine and the final chapters is practical application of the doctrine. You see, the first part you read through as a weak Christian, and weak I'm only saying because you're starting to understand the scripture verses, and then once you come to the end, Romans is the same, doctrine, practical. You go through Corinthians, addressing a problem in the church, Laying down the doctrine of sin and then practical. And then you go right through Colossians. We're going to see the same thing. Because in Colossae, he addresses a certain problem and then doctor, uh, uh, practical at the end. All of them. That's the reasons for an apostle. 
called by Christ to do that. Now let's just look at the qualifications of an apostle. If you sit here this morning and you say, man, I can't wait, I want to become an apostle. What is the qualifications? First of all, you had to be with Jesus and see Him physically. Oops. Any qualifications in here? Anybody can put up their hand and say, Oh, but wait a minute, they say, Oh, you know what? He appeared to me physically. I know they say that, but listen, it needs to be substantiated by two or three witnesses. That cuts out, I think, everybody. Two or three witnesses had to see everything that's substantiated in the Word of God. So, was Peter there? Yes, because James, and you name them, James, John, all of them saw. You go, wait a minute, but what about Paul? Because he calls himself an apostle, and he wasn't walking around them. He wasn't part of them. Again, we go back to the road of Damascus. In the road of Damascus, he was pursuing the church. He was going to kill them. He was going to capture them. He was full of this head knowledge. And then what happened? Christ appeared to them on the road of Damascus. And he had a dramatic, dramatic change in his life. You know what? He, he was struck with blindness. With blindness. He could go and read the whole account in the book of Acts. And then he went with blind. He was physically blind. He couldn't see. And then a man was saying to him, what, what was the message to him? Say to him that he is going to be bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. There he was sent as an apostle to do what? To build and plant churches. And it's amazing if you just think about this, because I love this. If you think about Peter. Peter and Paul. Paul is the one who's got all the knowledge. He was in the synagogues, man. He learned under Gamaliel. He was in the university of its day to become um, a Pharisee. And he was so clever. You would have think, you would have think that God would look at Paul and say, Look, Paul, I'm going to send you to minister to all the Jews. Because you know everything. Isn't that what we would do? If you go to university and you, you study to become a theologian, you come here, what do we do? We send you to go and preach to the theologians because you're a clever man. And Peter, who's this fisherman who didn't go to the synagogue, he didn't go to the university, you would say, Peter, we're going to get you to go and preach to the Gentiles. But God doesn't work in our way. It is amazing, dear friends, that He takes Peter, this fisherman, to go and preach to the Jews. And He takes Paul, who's this very, very clever man, to go and preach to the Gentiles. So don't try to work out God in your own way. He's got His own plan and way for you. Secondly, you had to be present to see Jesus' miracles. Anybody here? Can you put up your hand? Any qualifications here? No. And then you had to listen to His teaching physically. You had to be there listening to His teaching. And then you had to be able to do miracles. Oh man, and this is where the church has been so muddied over the last few years. I, I notice your one leg is shorter than your other leg. Come and sit here, we'll stretch your legs. Is there any place in the Bible that God says we need to do that? Any? No, no, he says that power will follow where you preach the gospel. Whose power? God's power. To whose choosing is that power? If it belongs to him, who chooses about it? He do. Did I say that right in English? He does. 
He, he chooses what he uses with the preaching of the gospel. And he did it with them. Wherever Peter went. You remember when Peter walked past there at the synagogue and that man was sitting at the gate there? He pulled him up. He says, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. And he did. And now I've seen, I've, I've been to a camp of disabled I've been there in New Zealand, and you know what? You get these young, they come out of the university schools and everything, theological, they walk in there and they go, man, we're going to do some miracles today. Doesn't work that way. Does not. You find it these days. People proclaim themselves to be apostles because they say Jesus appeared to them physically. They were sleeping, and all of a sudden they realized there was this, this you know, this person in the room they woke up and oh there's Jesus appearing to them and and he and he spoke to them and then you know they claimed that they went out and they raised people from the dead and I asked one question two or three witnesses where is the account of that or that it happened it is your word oh wait a minute you are touching the anointed of God now if you say that I didn't do that that's always, first thing they go to is that piece there. You touch the anointed of God. But I'll tell you what, friend. If you are the anointed of God, stop talking nonsense and come back to the Word of God. Let's call it as it is. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 12, 12. The signs of a true apostle. Look at this. A true apostle. Why would Paul say true apostle? It means that there will be false apostles. Yes? That's this basic uh, understanding of the scripture. He says the sign of the true apostles were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. Mighty works. That's important. You see, the, the, the thing is, friends, these days people want to claim a lot of things, but there's no evidence. No evidence. 2 Corinthians 11.13, he says, For such men are false. He's talking about these false prophets, apostles. He says, They are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. You see the word there, deceitful workmen? That is what they use to deceitfully say they do signs and wonders and mighty works. Look, let me just be honest to you. I'll preach the sermon. It'll go out in the, over the internet. And there's a lot of these people in these churches who will excommunicate me out of the Holy Spirit. Have you heard that? Happened to me in New Zealand. I preached a sermon like this. There was a famous man who was visiting the shores of New Zealand. And I just wrote to Moreel uh, Ministries, a, a man living down uh, on the north-south part of North Island. I wrote an email to a small distribution list that I had showing these dangers out about what's happening here. Don't go to this thing. And the next moment I got this email from this heavy high hitter pastor in Auckland. And he wrote me a letter and he says, we're going to excommunicate you out of the Holy Spirit. I thought, Wow. That's dangerous. So I started eating. I, I, I started eating my Bible. I go, wow, where do you get excommunicated out of the Holy Spirit? Jeez, man, I'm now. And I started digging there. I go, what here? Lord, I'm starting to shake the further I go. You know what I realize? It's a lot of nonsense. He's got no power. It's God's power. God's power. I think it's important before we go into Colossians to see the credential of this man Paul when he says an apostle. 
Because you'll see the crisis in a minute that hit this church. And when a crisis hits the church, friends, you don't want somebody who's going to trickle you on the ears and tell you how good and nice you are and how best life you can have now. No, no. If a crisis hits the church, you want the gospel. You want the truth of the word of God. In, listen to me, spirit and truth. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, he says, the word of God is living first of all, and it's sharper than a two-edged sword. A two-edged sword cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Then you need to stand up and say how it is. If it offends people, that's it. It's not you, it's the word. So, he's an apostle. Now, we see that he calls these people saints, and faithful brethren. Have you noticed that? Saints and faithful brethren. He says, and Timothy, first of all, when he talks about Timothy, you see what is really nice about Paul? He's not all about himself. He's a humble man. He greets them and he throws in Timothy's name. It shows his humility. It's not all about Paul's ministry. And, and let me just throw this in there as well. Look around you in the world. It is all these names on ministries. That's a problem. It is, I nearly threw a name in there, I wouldn't, because it is Mark Twain Ministries. No, no, what is that? Come on. Paul didn't do that. You, you see, he says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, that is credentials. And then he goes on and says, Timothy, our brother. He says, this is not a one-man thing. This is God. And Timothy is the younger man. He calls him in one state his son, his son. And now he says to the saints, so it's Paul who writes this, Timothy is there, and he says, I'm going to address this to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ. Why does he say saints, and why does he say brethren? First of all, he says saints. Now, does that mean it is these, these signs where you get with the halo around them and just stand there? Is it St. Paul that you pray to? Is it St. Peter? No, no. Who's the saints? It's you. It's us. Us. Oh, you don't know my child. You don't know me. I'm not no saint. <laughs> I'm not talking about I'm talking about your spiritual position. Okay? I'll talk about you in Christ. You're a saint according to the word of God. Saint is your relationship with God. You know why? Because He, when you came to the cross, when He saved your soul, He restored you wholly. You say, but man, I still do things which is not befitting a saint. Yes, I know that. But you know what? The Bible says, if you confess your sins, He is faithful to forgive you your sins. Yes? But that's not where the scripture verse stops. He says, but to cleanse you from your unrighteousness. You know what it means? Uh, a, a, a righteous life is a life acceptable to God that you need to live but we continue living a, a life acceptable to ourselves but patiently patiently the Holy Spirit as you grow in your spirit as you grow he patiently walk with you and he corrects you patiently yes there's some people when they when they bow the they need to the cross immediately they stop sin lots of them but there are people who is in a habit, and let me tell you one thing today, friends, to break a habit is a difficult thing. And they do it out of habit. And you know what the Holy Spirit comes? He gently and patiently comes along them and say, you know it, didn't, it wasn't the right thing to do. They do it again, and He keeps on doing it. 
He keeps on changing you into the image of His Son. But saints is a holy to His honor. We need to be holy. And let me read this verse to you. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. You can write it down somewhere. He says, according to according as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before him in love so when you come to the cross you know what he do he restores you holy he restores you there ain't sin yes sin like i just said now but the penalty of sin is not against you to be a saint means to be sanctified by His grace. Do you know what sanctified means? It means to be set apart. Bearing His image and aiming at His glory. So why does He say brethren then? Why? He says saints. He could have just left it there. No, no. Brethren talks about the relationship with each other. As saints talks about the relationship with God, they. But there's one thing that stands clear out of this verse. We must be faithful. We must be. We must be faithful to God. That is what it is. He says to the saints and faithful brethren, we must be faithful to God and faithful to one another. Really? Yes. Faithful to one another. We must be. <clears throat> now I want you to look at this now. He says to them, grace to you and peace from God. You see that? Grace is a free gift from God. And I want you to take really be encouraged right now. He greets all of the churches that he writes letters to with these words. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. What is grace? Grace is receiving something that you did not deserve. What was that? We deserve God's eternal life. We did not deserve it and he gave it to us. And it's so wonderful when he writes to them. To the church in Rome, he says grace and peace to you. To the church in Corinth, he says, grace and peace to you. And to Galatians, grace and peace. To all of them, he says, grace and peace to you. Whose peace is it? Whose grace is it? It's God's grace. And you don't have to work for that. And you know what he writes to the church here in Caram Downs in Melbourne, Australia? He says to us, grace and peace. You know, wherever I read in the Word... Grace always comes before peace. You want peace in your life? Find the grace. You say, my life is so turmoil, I haven't got peace. All I, if I can only get peace, you know, every, everywhere I turn, everything I do, it feels as if there's this aggravation. It feels as if, you know, it's, ah! I haven't got words to say it, but I think you understand what I mean. But go and look at it. Check it up in your Bible. I did. You always find grace which comes from God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved. Yes. So let, what am I saying? Let me cut it down to the bone. If you come to the cross of Christ and you bow the knee and you confess your sin, you know what He does? Through His grace He saves you. And at that point in time, friend, listen to me. Peace comes into your life. Grace comes before peace. God's grace. Marvelous grace. Wonderful grace. Grace, grace, God's grace. Hallelujah. And it gives you peace. That surpasses 
all understanding. Not just some understanding, all understanding. That is the scripture verse. It's a free gift from God. Look at this. And I've got so many scripture verses, but for the grace of time, I'll just say this. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. He writes to Titus. He says to him, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Hallelujah. You know what it means, Philip? It means that that grace appeared to all men then, and it appeared to all men now. It means that it appears to everybody in this room. The grace of God that brings salvation. You want peace in your life? Find the grace. Search for the grace. Where do you find that grace? At Christ. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 7, he says, But to every one of us, everybody say everyone, come on. To every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. What is grace? Grace is a gift. You can't work for it. It's not because you've got blue eyes and you've got no hair. That's me, by the way. You can't work for it. It's not because you've got the biggest muscles or you've got the biggest bank account, friend. The grace is the gift of God. And you know what? It is free to all men. But do you think all men wants to take that grace? No, no. No, why not? Because we're going to do it on our own way. And you know what follows that way? Turmoil, trouble, struggle. And then in the midst of that turmoil, struggle, struggle, you know what people do? Give us peace, God. And all he says, turn away from that to the cross of Christ. Because at the cross of Christ, you're going to find the grace of God. That's it. It's a simple math. But people don't want simple things. They want complication. Titus chapter 3 verse 7, he says, that being justified by grace. People want to be justified today. But the justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know what grace gives? You know what grace gives? It gives us (laughs) hope of what? Eternal life. I don't have to go to CES and to look at these sleeves. That's the word. They call these bodies sleeves. So you can now just change sleeves. I wonder how I want to choose my next sleeve, how I'm going to look. Maybe I'll choose a sleeve that keeps its hair on <laughs> longer. No, friends, I've got eternal life. The, the grace of God gives us hope and eternal life. And then he says peace. Now, let me just go on with this peace a bit. Uh, peace is only coming from God. There's no other peace that will give you satisfaction in life. If you want peace, you need to go to the peacemaker. And the peacemaker is Jesus Christ. John chapter 14, 27. He turns to his disciples. Wonderful. If you want to read a wonderful chapters in your Bible, go and read John chapter 14, 15, and 16. His final words to his disciples. He said to them, Peace I leave to you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives you do I give to you. Let your heart not be troubled, neither let it be afraid. We are living in a society where I'm telling you, Medication to get people in their minds of their travel, trouble is the, is the biggest ever. There are more people now taking pills, pills not to be afraid or not to be troubled. 
You know what they call everything these days? Oh, you've got a mental problem. We're living in a mental world. The whole world is mental. It went mental. I know of one pill that can fix that. I think you know where I'm going. You know what I'm going to say. There's only one pill that will fix your mental problem. It is the gospel. All you need to do is you need to come to Dr. Jesus for him to give it to you. Now, he says it right there. He says, his peace he will give to you. The world cannot give you this peace. In the world, you're going to be troubled. You're going to be afraid. But if you come to Jesus, you will have that peace. John 16, 33. I have spoken these things to you so that you might have peace in me. Listen to me. I have spoken these things to you so that you may have peace with me. Where is his spoken word? Here it is. If you want peace, go and search for it in the Word of God, that you might have peace in me. In the world you shall have tribulation. Who knows that? Amen? Amen? In the world you will have tribulations, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Praise the Lord. He has overcome the world. Now, he talks about Colossae, and I'll be quickly through these things. And This is what we're going to go into. First of all, we look at the city Colossae. Colossians was one of three cities located uh, inland from Ephesus. If you look at the map, the map will run down the sea. Ephesus was sitting on the coast, and then you go into the eastern part of uh, the eastern world. Um, there were three cities there, Laodicea, Hierapolis, and Colossae. Who knows about Laodicea? That writes in the book of Revelation. Laodicea and Hierapolis, they flourished, but Colossae became a small town. It became really small. It became so small. Um, it, it was important part of that area because it was part of a big trade route between east and west. And that was a great way of preaching the gospel. But Colossae was sitting at the bottom of the three, so it was a little bit out of the way. And hence, when these trades came through, there was not a lot of business that came to the city, and it started to shrink. Although it shrank, the church was still important there and powerful. So powerful that Paul wrote a letter to this small, or this church in this small town. Not in Laodicea or not in, in, in Herapolis. But the problem was, because it's on the straight route from east to west, a lot of these eastern religion things, like in our day, was coming through that city and influenced the church. And that became a massive problem. There was a large Jewish assembly in the city there. Uh, but there was also, like I said, this influx of these doctrines of the East. And that made it a fertile ground for religious heresies coming in. Secondly, if we look at it, the church that was in the city. Paul did not start this church like he started the others. Instead, when he went on his third missionary trip and he spent some time in Ephesus... It is known that a lot of the people in the area came and listened to him, and there was one man by the name of Epaphras, and Philip as well, and these men went back into Colossae, and they established the church of God there. Were they apostles? No. They only preached the gospel. You say, so what changed? I'll tell you what changed. When Jesus Christ, before he went, he said to you and me, he said, go into the world and make disciples. Apostles? No. Disciples. What do we teach them? The gospel and baptize. This is what these men did. And a small church started to develop in Colossians. So, um, he was the key member of that church there. 
Uh, there was also churches in these other two places. Now, let's quickly look at the crisis. So, because of the influences that came out of the east into those places, Epaphras went to Rome when, where Paul was sitting in jail, and he brought him this news. First of all, he told him about this church. And we're going to see next week how thankful Paul was about the church. And he thanks God for that. But he also brought with him the news that different doctrines came into the church and it was a problem and he wanted Paul's advice about it. Those are the things that's going to be critical for us to look in the next few weeks. So what was the heresies that threatened the church in Colossae? First of all, it was Eastern philosophy. Eastern philosophy. Who knows what Gnosticism is? Gnosticism is... The word gnosis, which know, it means is your mental faculty, and it means to know. I want you to listen clearly because this is happening in the church today that you're going to hear. These are the people who claim that they know the deeper things of God. Oh, you know some, but we know the deeper things of God. The revelational knowledge. It is more than what is in here. This is good. But God has given us revelational knowledge to know deeper. You over there, we deeper down here. They know more. And this is what they claim. You see, in Gnosticism, there's, there's, there's so many words they use, but I'll make it easy for you. They believe that everything which is in heaven is holy, the spiritual. But everything that's matter is evil. It's evil. So in, in other words, we and I are evil. This pulpit is evil. Everything on the earth is evil. Hence, it doesn't make sense that Jesus Christ was actual man. He was God on earth, not man. The Bible teaches us that He was man. As much as you and I. But they say no. Because He's holy, He can't be evil at the same time. So He didn't actually come in a bodily form. And, and now we find the offshoots in Hollywood like Star Wars. You know, Star Wars, dark against light. This is Gnosticism, and it plays out to your children, Star Wars, all of these things. And this is how it is in those days. They came in with these things and say, all the things in the spiritual world is holy, and everything on the earth is, it is evil. And now we know the deeper and fuller knowledge of things about God. And these people claim that God speaks to them directly in an audible voice. And there's so many people today in the church who claims that. And what is the danger thereof? They'll walk up to you and they'll say, Oh, brother, sister, God just last night spoke to me in an audible voice and said that I need to tell you. And it happens. And who are you to turn around and say, Hey, no, 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 I don't think so. Because God told me so. Don't, I'm just a messenger here. I'm just a voice. No, no, this is still today, and it happened in those days. And, and you see, the thing is, they also said that, you know, the angels rule heavens and influence the earth. And now you have ministries out there who praise against demons with territorial spirits. Have you heard that? It's all Gnosticism. It comes out of Eastern religions. All we have to do if we want to cleanse Karim Downs from its problems is we need to bind this demon who's got control over Karim Downs. If it, if it was as easy as that, friends, we wouldn't have any problems here. None. So this is what happened in that church. Eastern philosophy came in. And the second problem there was, there was Jewish legalism. 
Jew is legalism. They said circumcision was helpful for spiritual development. Circumcision, that's law. You need to do it. Uh, but also dietary laws. They said, look, uh, you know, I, I skipped some verses here because of time. Colossians 2.16. So let no one judge you in food or drink. Ah, oh, brother, if you eat that pork, no bacon for you. I won't say it. So there's two ways of dealing with this. Two ways of dealing with this. He's going to uh, explain to them. Oh, for them to be able to, to implement Jewish legalism and these Eastern religions. First of all, you need to have rigid discipline. You need to discipline your body. And there's so many people in the church today who come and say, you need to discipline your body. Whose effort is that? It's my effort. How many times are you going to fail? <laughs> Plenty. Plenty times you're going to fail. Colossians 2.23 These things indeed have an appearance of wisdom in self-imposed religion. Um, false humility and neglect of the body, but are no value against the indulgence of the flesh. It's no value. We're going to, we're going to look through that as we go through Colossians. We're going to address these more deeper. The second way of dealing with Jewish legalism or bringing it in is permit to indulge in all kinds of sin. <coughs> You're a child of God, but yeah, man, do anything. Because why? It's, everything's evil anyway. This body's evil anyway, so just do it. Do what Nike says. Just get on and do it. Then finally, before we pray, let me just say, this letter, we're going to see that Paul uses vocabulary the false teachers use. Clever. I'll show it out to you as we get there. He doesn't, he doesn't use their definitions of the words, but he brings the Christian meaning of those words in. These are words like fullness. Listen very carefully, because you hear this preach from some pulpits. They say, you want a full life now. Have you heard that? Full life now. <laughs> they said it back in that day as well. Paul comes and he says, let me tell you about fullness. That's going to answer the question. Or perfect, perfect man, or complete, these things. He uses these words in the letter back to them, because that's the words that these false teachers use. But then he applies the Christian uh, definition to that. He wrote about wisdom, which is a key term in the Gnostic vocabulary. He writes about that, and he says a lot about angels and spiritual power. So, for the next few weeks to prepare you, we're going to look at how Paul addresses them. He is going to exalt the gospel. He's going to exalt redemption. He's going to talk about that. Creation, the church, and his own ministry. Amen. That was a lot said. Praise the Lord.